This is the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z, telling it like it is. Good morning and welcome back to the Truth Hurts program. It is Monday, the 7th day of June, 2021. My name is Steve Z, and on this program, I express my opinion. And I am entitled to that opinion under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Therefore, if you are offended, I apologize, but I retract absolutely nothing. Many of you who know me personally will have no choice but to admit that I am a highly opinionated individual, never too timid to impart my opinion on any given topic, especially when I'm asked. And sometimes I just offer it because it needs to be said. That's a nice way of saying that I will spout my opinion just to start a discussion, uh, an, an argument. Yeah, okay. If you really know me, you also know that I suffer from a hearing condition that has no name, at least not a name that I've been able to research and apply to this condition. I can sit directly across from you at a table, look you in the eyes while you are speaking, and actually not hear a damn thing you're saying for some reason, because my brain, my hearing, allows me to hear the conversations going on at the other tables surrounding me than I can hear from you, and you're right there in front of me. I don't know what causes it. I don't have any answer. There's no medical explanation. I've sought medical advice from actual doctors, hearing experts, and they tell me they cannot explain it. It's a blessing. It's a curse. Okay, it's, it's a curse especially if the person sitting directly across from me thinks that I am purposely ignoring them or trying to be nosy about the other conversations in the room. I truly can hear the other table's commentaries much more clearly than I can hear the person sitting directly across from me, two feet away, looking me in the eyes. If you've ever felt that I was ignoring you during a conversation, I do apologize, but it truly is a condition for which I have no explanation and no control. I often have to ask someone at the table directly across from me repeat themselves, not because I was blowing them off or bored with their conversation, but because the other conversations surrounding me at other tables are truly louder, more distinctive, clearer, and they register in my brain more directly and readily than the person or persons sitting right in front of me. So again, I do apologize. Oh, and the Dale Carnegie courses be damned. I can really, rarely remember anyone's name. My apologies. If I call you, hey man, or hey dude, I probably have heard your name, but it just did not register. It's not that you're not important. It's not that your uh, name doesn't matter to me. My brain just has an issue with remembering names. Perhaps everyone should wear a name tag on their Dr. Fauci-inspired face masks. But that's a story for another day. As I sat across from a very entertaining person for dinner, my stupid condition honed in on a conversation at another table about 15 feet away on Saturday evening. Again, I do apologize to my dinner companion. I was not blowing you off or ignoring you, I promise. Anyway, that side conversation at a table 15, 20 feet away made me realize There may be absolutely no chance of America ever coming together on any topic ever again. Religion, abortion, the military, politics, policing, race, ethnicity, sports teams, citizenship, spending, the economy, taxation, gasoline prices, the color of carrots, none of it. 
I was not trying to listen in on the two Caucasian men discussing the issues of race relations, defunding police, and taxation. I realized those two men were on such polar opposite sides of the issues that there was simply no way I could ignore that conversation which was beaming directly into my ears. Even though I looked directly into the eyes of the person sitting across from me at the table and tried desperately to hear and understand what they were telling me, these other two men and their conversation was piercing my ears, my brain, my very soul. Each one of those two men had an all-or-nothing position, fully ensconced, dug in, refusing to budge. The conversation was, at the beginning, for the most part, civil. For once in my life, I decided simply to keep my mouth shut and listen. The old God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Reason. As their conversation continued, it became more heated and landed in the all-too-familiar place where one guy ended up calling another guy names, the other guy saying that the first guy acting that way was juvenile, and then returned a volley of name-calling on his own. It was not pleasant. Thank goodness this discussion turned disagreement, turned argument, did not turn violent. But the mere fact that neither party was willing to accept even the basic premise that the other was trying to establish proved that we have so polarized this nation that it has perhaps gotten to a point of no return. Even when presented with what appears to be facts on any given topic, one side will undoubtedly start the name-calling, and you can spend the numbers any way you want, but you are still wrong type conversation, or the because I said so and you're a moron. No matter how many facts, statistics, figures, data sets, bar graphs, pie graphs, or even photographs that one party might present to prove their point, the other side will simply call you names and refuse to accept that reality, claiming that the numbers had been spun one way or another. That accidental conversation overheard between these two white guys featured a main course of the murder rate in New Orleans with a side of race, not rice, served with a helping of taxation issues, civic corruption, white privilege, and of course, the systemic racism lie. Case in point, every single night in New Orleans, every night for as long as I can recall, and I've lived here the majority of my life, the local talking heads on the nightly news shows begin the program each and every night with a leading story about a shooting, a stabbing, a murder in New Orleans or the surrounding area. Some violent crime every single night. This nightly ritual has desensitized the viewers to a point where they expect another quick blurb about a murder. They can't wait to get past that same old, same old, so they can just hear the weather report, which is usually just as repetitive and mundane, or to hear the latest about their wonderful football or basketball teams. In New Orleans on any given night, and I don't believe it would be any different in any medium to large city on any given night, the lead story 99% of the time is about a murder. And 99% of the time, the story goes something like this. A murder occurred in the blank blank neighborhood overnight. Police responded to the blank hundred block of Martin Luther King Drive to a call of shots fired. Upon arriving on the scene, police found an unidentified double A hyphenated American man shot to death. No motive or suspect has been reported as of this time, 
If you have any information on this killing, you're asked to call the Blankety Blank Police Department at Blankety Blank phone number. You can insert any AA neighborhood, any roadway named for MLK or another 13% minority civil rights leader. You can insert those street names, but the story is basically the same every single night. And that's what these two men were talking about at the restaurant on Saturday night. And I'm almost certain the exact same conversation was occurring at the restaurant across the street, at a restaurant across town, at many restaurants across the state, and even more across the nation. One person says that all of that violence in the hood is a product of systemic racism because that's the dog whistle buzzword of the month spouting the media-manufactured term for the express purpose of blaming the white man for the woes of the black population. The other person will then say it is an inherent product of the true nature of the 13% hyphenated American minority. Even when the facts are presented, the first party plays the white guilt card, claiming all of the ills in the AA community are the fault of the white man somehow. So let's talk about facts for just a moment. I did not interject my opinion at their dinner conversation. I was trying desperately to get back to the conversation at my own table, within my own brain. So I left that one alone. At no point in the history of planet Earth did white Europeans ever travel to Africa, trek through the jungles, across the deserts, and round up black men to use as slaves in the land now known at the USA. Let's talk about that fact for a moment. I know I've said it on this program multiple times, but I think it bears repeating. At no point in the history of history of the planet Earth did white men ever travel to Africa, trek through the jungles, across the deserts, and round up black men and carry them to this new land known as the USA to work the fields. At no point ever did that happen. Never. If you read actual historical accounts of how slavery in the land now known as the USA began, you'd be shocked. You'd be scratching your head and saying, why the hell are they trying to make the white man the bad guy here? There are countless historical archives in Africa, in Europe, and yes, even hidden away here in the USA, in the halls of the Library of Congress, that prove 100% that Africans sold Africans into slavery. Hell, I could devote this program for an entire year, three episodes per day, simply reading what you or any other person could find in a 10-minute Google Yahoo search or Bing. The BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, did a great article entitled, My Nigerian Great-Grandfather Sold Slaves. It tells the story of how a black woman's Nigerian African great-grandfather rounded up and sold black women, men, and children as slaves to other black people. Sold them to other black slave traders who sold them to black-owned slave ship owners who then sold them to black-owned slave markets in the West Indies, and then eventually those black slaves sold by black slave merchants ended up in a country owned by the British to 13 colonies before America was America. The cold, hard, black and white fact is, if anyone is to blame for slavery in America, the blame should begin at the source, at the root, at its genesis, Africa itself.
The very violence we see in the large cities in America in the AA hyphenated American communities are reminiscent of the tribal slaughter, the black tribe versus black tribe, uncivilized jungle dwelling Africans who preyed upon each other. They spent their entire existence since before time was recorded, making babies and then starting wars amongst themselves, stealing the women and children of other tribes, burning down the opposing tribes' villages, stealing food and clothing and tools and weapons of those opposing black tribes, and then rounding up the defeated warriors of the opposing tribes, chaining them, putting their necks in wooden yokes, marching them across the deserts and jungles of Africa, and selling their own black counterparts into slavery. Here's an excerpt from that BBC article I mentioned earlier. The great-granddaughter of a black slave trader said, My great-grandfather, Nuobani Ogogo Oriaku, was what I prefer to call a businessman from the Ligbo ethnic group of southeastern Nigeria. He dealt in a number of goods, including tobacco and palm produce. He also sold human beings. He had agents who captured slaves from different places and brought them to him, my father told me. Nobani Ogogu's slaves were sold through the ports of Calabar and Bani in the south of what is now known as Nigeria in Africa. People from ethnic groups along the coast, such as the Ifik and the Ijaw, usually acted as stevedores for the merchants and as middlemen for the Igbo traders like my great-grandfather. About 1.5 million Igbo slaves were shipped across the Atlantic Ocean between the 15th and 19th centuries. More than 1.5 million Africans were shipped to what was then called the New World, the Americas, through the Calabar port, the Bight of Bani, making it one of the largest points of exit during the transatlantic trade. Nuabani Ogogu lived in a time where the fittest survived and the bravest excelled. The concept of all men are created equal was completely alien to traditional religion and to law in his society. These are direct quotes from this piece. And here's the part that really made me realize the double standard that we apply here in America to the evils wrought by Africans against Africans in Africa. She says, It would be unfair to judge a 19th century man by 21st century principles. Assessing the people of Africa's past by today's standards would compel us to cast the majority of our heroes as villains, denying us the right to fully celebrate anyone who was not influenced by Western ideology. Igbo slave traders like my great-grandfather did not suffer any crisis of social acceptance or legality. They did not need any religious or scientific justifications for their actions. They were simply living the life into which they were raised. That was all they knew. It was a very, very interesting story, and there are many, many more just like it. America was not even America when the slave business began. I'm not excusing the fact that slavery continued in America after America became America, but we stopped it. We did away with it. We ended it in 1863. In the same words that Adobe Trisha Nuabani, the author of that story, the great-granddaughter of that slave trader, it would be unfair to judge a 19th century man by 21st century principles. 
And I think, my friends, that is where the rub comes in. The black community here in 2021, in the 21st century, along with many of those white people who have been tricked and fooled into feeling some sort of so-called white guilt, fail to understand the fact that no man alive should be accountable to the actions of someone over 400 years prior, 300 years prior, 200 years prior, or even 158 years prior when slavery ended. That's right, boys and girls, slavery ended 158 years ago, not last week. No man or woman alive today, nor their parents, their grandparents, or likely even their great-grandparents were ever slaves. No man, woman alive today, nor their parents, their great-grandparents, were ever owners of a slave. To add to that is the fact that many, many white people in this country didn't arrive in the United States till after the year 1900. My own family didn't arrive till 1908. The Irish, the Italian, the German settlers who came in the 1920s certainly had no hand in slavery in the United States of America. But yet, there are groups of people out there who think every person with light skin should be paying reparations to every person with dark skin. Another fact people fail to accept, admit, understand, and realize is not every black person in America is the descendant of a slave. Many blacks came here after the year 1863, after slavery was abolished. Many came here from Nigeria directly and other parts of the world. They were not slaves yet, according to the white guilt crowd, the progressives, the Democrats pandering for a Democrat vote. If you have dark skin, you should be paid money by everyone with light skin. Slavery, which did end 158 years ago, is somehow to blame, I guess, for why Chiron killed Tyrone last night on MLK Drive. You might say, that does not compute. Actually, it does compute. What? What are you saying, Steve Z? The tribe-on-tribe -tribe violence that was the root cause of slavery in Africa, by blacks upon blacks, is exactly 100% the reason why Chiron killed Tyrone last night on MLK Boulevard. And Tyrone's tribe, or gang, will seek revenge on Chiron's tribe, or gang, tonight. And then someone else will kill someone else from the first tribe, and then the second tribe, and back to the first tribe. The myth of white privilege says blacks are arrested and incarcerated at a higher rate due to some false report of systemic racism that allegedly exists in law enforcement and our judicial systems. However, white privilege is not real. We're going to prove that institutional racism is not the cause, but it is in fact the hearkening back to that tribe versus tribe mentality, that bullshit line of it takes a village, the breakdown in the family unit, and the lack of education in certain groups of people in a certain minority who choose to make bad life choices. And those, my friends, are the real causes of the problem. Is a black person more likely to be a criminal than a white person? According to 2016 stats from the U.S. Census Bureau, non-Hispanic whites make up 61.3% of the population. Black people make up 13.1% of the population. That's why we call them the 13%, double A, because of African-American. It's easier to say double A. 13% double A 
hyphenated American because African-American is a hyphenated version of American. Now you know why we called it particular demographic, the 13% double A hyphenated American minority. But I digress. If you look at the FBI crime statistics for violent crimes, you can see that whites committed 241,000 of the 409,000 violent crimes in 2016. That's 58% of the total. 61% of the population is committing 58% of the violent crimes, so the math adds up. If you look at the number of violent crimes committed by blacks, you can see that they committed 153,000 of the 409,000 violent crimes, which is 37% of the violent crimes. If black people make up 13% of the population, they should only be committing 13% of the crimes, but instead they're committing crimes at three times the rate of the population percentage that they represent. The myth of white privilege says that the police and the court system in the U.S. is guilty of something called systemic racism, bias, and somehow unfairly arrests and prosecutes blacks. Fortunately, my friends, there's an easy way to prove that that is not true. Simply look at the population and crime records for another developed first world country that doesn't have the alleged biases of the U.S. system. Let's take a look at the ethnic breakdown of England, the United Kingdom. Blacks make up only 2.8% of the population in England. So perhaps this is a USA issue, right? After all, black folks live around the world, so the figures must be able to prove that white slave ownership in the US is to blame for the blacks committing the vast majority of crimes by percentage, but you would be wrong. The crime statistics provided by the United Kingdom show almost an identical correlation. Whereas blacks make up less than 3% of the population in England, they make up almost 10% of the crimes committed and the incarcerations, arrests, and convictions in England, three times as high as their percentage of population is represented. You eliminate the U.S. justice system, which is accused of giving whites privilege and having a systemic racial bias, Blacks still commit crimes disproportionately higher than their percentage of the population. The disproportionate rate that crimes are being committed in the U.S. is almost identical to that rate in the U.K., proving there's no bias in the U.S. criminal justice system. So the question becomes, why are blacks more likely to become criminals? There's a, an article called Black vs. White, The Breakdown in Family Values. And that can be found in whiteprivilegesnotreal.org's website. It says there are many contributing factors. It starts with black pregnancies that create single-parent households that are more likely to live in poverty or low-income situations. The low-income situation creates an environment that produces children who have a higher rate of dropping out of school or are more likely to engage in criminal behavior because of a lack of proper parenting and a proper supervision creating a repeating cycle of low-income single-parent households that remain uneducated and more likely to commit crimes in the future. Systemic biases or institutional racism is not what is creating the situation. Black men and black women engaging in sexual activity without birth control, getting pregnant, are the people responsible for creating the problem. Black males who create children don't get married, they abandon their parental responsibilities, and they're the people who take a bad situation and keep it from getting any better. The system is not to blame. The people involved in the situation is to blame. A quick 
black versus white crime statistics conclusion was made in that article. It says, it is an uncomfortable truth, but blacks commit crimes at nearly three times the rate of their population representation. Blacks commit 36% of the violent crimes in the U.S., even though they are only 13% of the population. They commit over 10% of the crimes in England, even though they're less than 3% of the population. The parity in black crime rates in the U.S., the black crime in the U.K., proves there's no systemic or institutional racial bias in the U.S., and that the judicial system is not unfairly targeting blacks. There is no systemic racism in the U.S. judicial system. There's no racial bias that unfairly targets innocent blacks in the U.S. The cycle of black crime begins with the breakdown of family values that has 72% of black pregnancies creating low-income, single-parent households in the U.S. Black children growing up in single-parent, low-income situations are likely to repeat this cycle unless they raise children in a married, two-parent household with more stability and show their children that education and work is going to provide them with a much better lifestyle than continuing a cycle of criminal activity and poverty. White privilege is not creating a system that unfairly arrests and prosecutes blacks. It is the black parents making bad life choices for themselves and their offspring that create the situations which increase the likelihood of bad outcomes which are happening on the news every single night. White privilege is not real. It is not responsible for blacks committing more crimes. Black adults making poor life choices are the ones responsible. And that, my friends, is the truth. And no matter how you look at it, the truth hurts. Aaron Bandler wrote an article way back July 13th of 2016 on the Daily Wire. It said, seven statistics you need to know about black-on-black crime. 93% of black homicide victims are killed by other blacks, according to data from the FBI. Blacks commit violent crimes at 7 to 10 times the rate that whites do, based on their percentage of the population. Blacks committed 52% of homicides between 1980 and 2008, despite composing 13% of the population. Across the same time frame, whites committed 45% of homicides, while composing 77% of the population, according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics. In 2013, the black criminals carried out 38% of murders compared to 31% for whites. And I do apologize because facts and figures and numbers don't translate well over an audio formatted program. I don't have the graphs or the charts to show it to you so that your brain can absorb the visual. Black crime is more prevalent in the country's larger cities and counties. For example, blacks make up 10% of the population in Los Angeles, California, but commit 42% of its robberies, 34% of its felonies. Whites make up only 29% of the population. They commit only 5% of the robberies and 13% of the felonies. In New York, blacks commit 75% of all shootings, 70% of all robberies, 66% of all violent crimes, despite only comprising 23% of the population. And despite the lies of systemic police racism, in 2015, there were almost 6,000 black people killed by other black people. By contrast, only 258 black people were killed by police gunfire that year, 311 whites. The percentages of blacks arrested for crimes is consistent with the police reports. 
according to the 1985 study for which gropey Joe Biden was involved as a member of Congress. Black crime rates were lower in the 1940s and 1950s when black poverty was higher and race discrimination was rampant and legal. So it's not racism and poverty to blame for the black crime rate. The question is, what is? Economist Thomas Sowell, a black man, points out that before the 1960s, most black children were raised in two-parent households. In 2013, over 72% of blacks were born out of wetlock. In Cook County, Chicago area, 79% of blacks were born to single mothers in 2013. Only 15% of whites were born to single mothers. Until that gap closes, the crime gap will not close either. It's about all the time we have for this morning's edition of the Truth Hurts program. The next time you hear the term white privilege or you hear systemic racism is to blame, you will know in your heart, in reality, both of those are lies. We'll see you next time. This is the Truth Hurts program with Steve Z. Opinions expressed here are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. If you like what you hear, tell a friend. If you don't like what you hear, just turn off the program. I'm sure you can find something else to occupy your mind. Thank you for listening. The opinions expressed are protected free speech under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. We apologize if you were offended, but we retract nothing. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. Copyright 2021, The Truth Hurts Network.